Psalm 52. Got my study Bible with me and too many things in it. It's all going to fall out on me, I think. So, I've called this uh, sermon, Looking Beyond the Veil When Evil Comes. Looking Beyond the Veil When Evil Comes. Live by faith, not by sight. You've heard that. It's a, it's a common refrain in the Bible. Live by faith, not by sight. That's the call for the Christian. To say it another way, don't let your current circumstances, no matter what they are, no matter how heavy your trial, don't let your current circumstances determine your confidence in God. Don't let your current circumstances dampen your joy. Don't let the heaviness of what's going on today sap your hope in God's promises to you. Don't let them hinder your mission the way you live for Him. Live by faith, not by sight. What is going on around us, before our eyes, you see, is not all there is. So we have to trust what God tells us about Himself and has demonstrated to us in glorious ways throughout our lives and and to those around us and even those who have come before us. This life, these circumstances that are set before you, They are not all there is. We live, as it were, on this side of a veil. And we need to trust in God and his promises. Much of which, most of which, we cannot yet see. Jesus famously taught one of his disciples this lesson in John chapter 20. Listen to these verses. Recall this account. The other disciples were talking to Thomas, and and they said to him, We have seen the Lord. This is after his resurrection. But he said to them, Thomas replied, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the marks of those nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, Jesus shows up. With his disciples inside, again, Thomas present this time, uh, we read, Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. God's people need that kind of blessing. That kind of blessing that comes from living by faith, by by believing even when we don't see. And this this is particularly true when we endure suffering. 
Christians in every age have experienced profound suffering from those who hate God and his gospel. It happens in every age. It happens in this one. It's happening today in places like Nigeria and Nicaragua and India and so many other places. (laughs) Somehow, providentially, this voice of the martyrs bookmark is in the pulpit, how to pray for Nigerian Christians. Maybe persecution seems unreal to you. I mean, we don't hear much of it in uh, the United States. If so, may the Spirit of God call you today to prepare for suffering that lies yet ahead. Let's turn to God's Word for help. Because this is just something quite beyond us, right? This whole idea of getting ready for suffering. But friends, it's coming. Psalm 52. Listen to, listen to God speak to us today from the Psalter. Verse 1, Psalm 52. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See, the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. What a thrilling psalm. What a, what a, what a great text for us to consider as we think about suffering that may be yet right around the corner. I want, to produce, I want to convince you of this theme from Psalm 52. It's this. Though evil men surround us now, God is our refuge forever. Though evil men surround us now, God is our refuge forever. Our text helps, helps us today to prepare our souls for suffering, to believe that that is true Though evil surrounds us now, God is our refuge forever. Some of us naively think we will never suffer for our faith. I've been, we, we've been sort of lulled into that false sense of security because of the place in which we live. But this world is heading toward greater and greater opposition to the Savior and everybody who witnesses for Him. When that time comes we will need especially at that point to live by faith. Because there'll be nothing around us to look at to gain hope from. If we don't live by faith, when persecution comes, we will give way to despair, and so we must prepare ourselves. The psalmist helps us to see that when evil comes, yet there is cause for hope, because God is our refuge forever. 
And he does this, the psalmist does this, helps us to see this by unveiling some things for us. It's not unlike uh, pulling the curtain back when you're in your dark living room to see what's outside. The psalmist does this unveiling. He does two kinds of unveiling for us. The first is unveiling the truth about evil men. And then secondly, he turns his attention to the church, to God's people, and unveils truth about ourselves, the position we find ourselves in. So first, the true situation of the wicked unveiled, we'll look at. And then we'll follow that with the true situation of Christians unveiled. So first, let us see how Psalm 52 unveils evil men for us. We see this in the first five verses of the psalm. Notice who the psalm addresses from the beginning. Do you see it there in verse 1? Let your eyes fall back on the scriptures. Trace it with me. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The psalmist addresses evil people from the start. And, and it's because there are always powerful men around us who are doing evil. We can always address them from the psalm in every age. They're all around us even today. Sometimes their evil is instant and obvious. Sometimes it surprises us later when it's revealed. Think of the countless people who have, been, uh, who have been interviewed by newscasters when some disaster, some, some evil calamity happens in, in somebody's neighborhood. No one seems to ever predict that that guy would have done that awful thing. They all seem to be you know, completely oblivious to the evil that, that lived nearby. I wonder if you've ever been shocked to learn of great wickedness that, that someone that you know believes to be normal, believes to be good even. I've known somebody for more than 20 years, and just recently, just recently, it was revealed, he revealed it, that he sees ongoing adultery as good for his marriage. I was horrified and shocked. Not only did he pronounce it to be good for his marriage, he even tried to convince his adult child of the same. I say it again, evil men are all around us. David knew this full well. When King Saul was hunting him down to kill him, David crossed paths with Doeg the Edomite. It's, it's there in the... In the, in the introductory title to the psalm. As David took flight, he first sought food and a weapon from the high priest. He didn't have a lot of time to plan because Saul was, was dead set on killing him. This is recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 21. <clears throat> the Edomites were enemies of the Israelites. They weren't even allowed to pass through their land to get to the promised land. But in this time that's captured by Samuel, this Doeg fellow is just simply mentioned in passing in the scene where David is going to the high priest in the city of Nob to get some food and, and a weapon. 
his evil nature, though, would be unveiled in the next chapter. There we read of Saul being enraged at the high priest helping David get away. And, and, and orders that the high priest and all of his family be killed. And none of his soldiers would stand up to do it because these are, these are priests. These are holy men of God. But Doeg steps right up. And he murders 85 priests, including women and children, all to get in good with the king. Such a profound willingness to sin. To use his strength and position to slaughter defenseless people to advance his own cause. Though he later admitted to being suspicious of Doeg, David didn't seem to see him as capable of such horrifying evil. But it was, in the end, unveiled for all to see. So often, those in positions of influence use their power to advance themselves at the cost of other people. We see this when politicians use the poor as mere props with no regard for the dire situations they're in. We see this when employers pay workers at subsistence levels or cause them to endure dangerous working conditions. We see this in atrocities committed by those who are titans in the pornography business, the sex trade, and the abortion industry. Friends, evil men surround us. What are these people like? The psalmist pulls the veil back a little further and reveals their wicked approach to others. We see it in verses 2 through 4. It's difficult language to lead. It, uh, read. rather. It, it's like this evil that just kind of stacks on top of each other. Look at it in verses 2 through 4 there. The psalmist says of evil men, Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. Did you notice the emphasis on evil speech? It begins and ends with the tongue. Lies, deception, even brazenly announcing their destructive plans with vicious intent. Cutting all in their way, slicing them like a sharp razor. We've heard such misleading words, such obvious deceit from men. Slaughtering the innocent in the womb, being called reproductive rights. The testimony about our God of truth and love and justice being denigrated as intolerant hate speech. The perverted LGBTQ and gender neutrality movements heralded as progress in the area of civil rights. Sexual promiscuity being somehow packaged as pro-women. We can go on and on. Evil surrounds us, and, and, and nothing is to be believed. But make no mistake, evil men eventually make their intentions known. What is in whispers one day will be very much made clear in the next. 
They may hide them for a time, but the wicked become increasingly more vocal as they advance their godless plans. Just think of the homosexuality movement. No one 20 years ago, five years ago, would believe how it's being talked of today. Talk and talk and talk come from evil people. They lie and deceive while they plot their destructive path, cutting and devouring people as they go. Two things. Two things just by way of application here. The first is to be wary of the things that come out of your mouth. Out of, a, out of an abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so be wary if you find yourself, you know, using cutting words about other people that reveals something about what's going on inside. It's a, it's a safety valve. It's, a, it's like an alarm for you that God has given you if you'll listen to your own words so that you can turn from such worldliness. But more to the content of this psalm, we need to also think about the church's apathy towards evil in the world, particularly the church here in America. We have such privilege and ease in this country to live out our faith. I mean, we, we can worship without the fear of somebody like Doeg with government approval coming in here to silence us or, or harm us. We can have Bible studies in coffee shops and share our faith on college campuses and pray in public without fear of being arrested or beaten or worse. But we can't mistake the absence of persecution now to be a permanent situation. Perhaps we put too much trust in our constitutional rights or our ability to sue to, to, to continue to worship and things like that. But we would be foolish to think that evil men will never come against us. The Bible is replete with accounts of evil people like the men who surrounded Lot's house. You remember? Potiphar's wife. Pharaoh, not the one at the end of Genesis, but the one at the beginning of Exodus. Delilah and Haman and Daniel's accusers before Nebuchadnezzar and the Jewish leaders in Acts and Alexander the coppersmith that did great harm to Paul that's recorded in 2 Timothy 4. Not to mention the wicked who will come in the great tribulation that Jesus spoke of and that John warns us of in his revelation. We must, brothers and sisters, awaken ourselves to the evil around us. The evil that will certainly come against us, though we don't yet see it. I don't say that. God's word doesn't say that in order to cause us to cower in fear. Our text today prepares us for when evil comes and perhaps even surrounds us on every side. Our text calls us to live by faith, not by sight. Look now at how the psalmist unveils something else about the wicked. They put their trust in themselves, in their own position and power. It's in the first verse in that indicting question, why do you boast of evil? But it's also stated in plain terms in verse 7. Drop down there. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible. 
Here is the man who trusted in the abundance of his riches, taking refuge in his destructive behavior. It's incredible how men who maybe began their lives or careers in modest circumstances, who, who later come to trust in themselves when they rise in, 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 with resources and authority. Powerful men left to themselves will conclude that their perverted view of the world is right because of how they have succeeded from their bullying and hurting of other people in order to advance it. Riches, the ears of important people, deception and treachery and oppression being committed with impunity and even the applause of other people. The sin of the wicked becomes to them a refuge from anyone who would come along later to oppose them. Think of a man like Bernie Madoff or Jeffrey Epstein. They, 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 they had this like veneer of success to them, but it was all a fraud. But they surrounded themselves with rich and powerful people, and so they saw their crimes that continued in long stretches as their impenetrable fortresses. They trusted in themselves. Such is the case for the wicked in this world. But faith in themselves will prove only temporary. Trusting in their own ability to protect themselves from divine justice will prove futile. I mean, hear, hear Peter's words in 2 Peter chapter 3. He promises what's coming. Peter says, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their, their, own, their, their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. But the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Yes, while evil men scoff. Scoff at the idea of being judged for their sins, thinking themselves secure, judgment will surely come. And so in the end, trusting in themselves and their ruinous acts will be exposed to be the greatest folly. Look at verse 5 there. God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Praise God for that. Evil will not continue uninterrupted forever. God will not let men continue in their sin and self-deception without end. Their refuge will be shown to be no refuge at all. For they will be torn from their high perch, plucked out of this life. Trusting in themselves will result in their everlasting ruin in the grave. Because of this, Christians need not live in fear. Not fear of the evil, anyway, but, but, but fear in God. The fear of the Lord, which is a true refuge, which brings confidence to live in this sin-cursed world as He protects you and leads you to eternal life. This brings us to our second unveiling. First, we saw this unveiling of evil men 
right? That they're all around us and what their speech looks like and what their intentions are and what they put their hope in and what their end is. But the psalm also unveils something of the righteous. And we see that in verses 6 through 9. We, we need to see the truth about the wicked as we face suffering. We need to see what's true about them. But so too we need to embrace the truth about ourselves because of God's love for us, even when evil comes. Three aspects to remember about following the Lord. Three aspects to remember about you, righteous one, one who follows the Lord. Three things to remember when evil comes. First, we're not in the hands of the evil, but in God's hands. Having this assurance that God will judge the wicked reveals that the righteous are not really in the precarious situation they appear to be in. Even when evil men do their worst, though evil men surround us now, God is our refuge forever. Let me show you something. Let me show you something. Notice how the psalm begins. Look at verse 1 again there. In the middle of the opening verses, 1 through 5, I told you, is about evil men, right? Well, right there, sandwiched in there, right after that opening where he addresses evil men, we have this, this statement that doesn't seem to fit. The second half of verse 1 there, do you see it? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. It seems to be out of place. I mean, look at the verses. Look at one. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? Skip over what I just read. Your tongue plots destruction. You see how it goes? On and on. Why there? It seems to be out of place. It's so abrupt, in fact, that many scholars have argued that the Hebrew is somehow wrong and it needs to, you know, have some different words there. I mean, even the NIV tries uh, uh, something really radically different. The, the, the NIV, instead of saying the steadfast love of God endures all the day, says, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God. I mean, that's not even close. Right? I, I, I appreciate that they're, they're, that they're trying to preserve the content of verses 1 through 5, but, but, but the, most of the translations defend the, the old rendering. The steadfast love of God endures all the day. And so we are left to wrestle with this odd insertion here. I believe it's to encourage Christians to live by faith, not by sight. And so, even as we examine the devils working through those who oppress the weak and oppose the righteous, the Spirit of God unveils for us right there a truth that brings supernatural confidence. Even as you approach this thought about examining really who are these evil people and what are their intent, there's that truth kind of operating in the background. While the church experiences the wrath of men, while they can see it with their eyes and hear it with their ears and perhaps even feel it with the blows of persecution, there is a grand working of grace beyond the veil of this life. While evil men boast, thinking themselves mighty heroes and, and of their destructive intentions, while that is being witnessed by the saints, yet even then the steadfast love of God endures all the day. What is God's steadfast love? Why should that bring us such encouragement, even under persecution? 
It's his unbreakable, uninterrupted commitment to bring his people to their supreme joy in him, no matter what's happening around them. His love is a working of his promises in real time. His protection is perfectly designed to give us power to endure. His loyalty to us endures all the day, all the evil days long. Not because of our faithfulness. Not because we deserve that sort of love. But because He has promised it. Because of His faithfulness. He's promised to never stop loving us and protecting us and working for our good. That brings us to my second second truth from this unveiling about who we are. The first is we're not really in the hands of evil men, but we're in God's hands. The second is this. God is always acting for our good even when we can't see it. He's always acting for our good even when we can't see it. God doesn't always end persecution. This side of of heaven. He doesn't always end persecution suffered by Christian in past ages or this age. I mean, the voices of many martyrs trailed off under the cruelest acts of their enemies. But he's always acting in the background to save his people, even through the cruel acts of our enemies. He's always acting to carry us through the worst calamities that we might suffer in this world. The church is called at such times to live by faith, not by sight. And so we need to be prepared. This idea is heard in the voices of the three exiles who faced death in the Babylonian furnace. You remember that story? That real story? Followers of God? that faced the the worst kind of persecution for for being devoted to God. It's found in Daniel chapter 3. Listen to these words, verses 17 through 18. The Babylonians, they had had put up this this, sculpture of some kind. And and everybody, even even God's people, even the Israelites who were in exile there, were to bow down to this image or face being thrown into a fiery furnace to their deaths. And these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused. And so they faced their fate. Listen now, Daniel 3.17. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They could see nothing, hear nothing that would give them hope in their current situation. But they believed in a God who was always working for them, who would, who would rescue them either right then from the furnace itself or into glory. It's extraordinary. Those men didn't know if God would rescue them from death that day, but he did. 
David didn't know if God would rescue him from the hand of Doeg and Saul, but he did again and again. And while it's not guaranteed, Christians down through the ages have experienced countless deliverances from their enemies right here in this world. Though evil men surround us now, God is our refuge forever. They've come to learn that. And we need to learn that. Countless times God has worked against those who show their teeth to Christians. Countless times he has confounded the plans of the wicked or even ripped them out of this world altogether. When in God's mercy Christians experience salvation from enemies in this life, when that happens we are to rejoice in our deliverance from their punishment. Look at verses 6 in the first part of 7 there. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge. You get deliverance from your enemies in this world, Christian. You'll see and you'll fear and you're even to laugh. Let's look at fear first. Fear of the Lord who destroys his enemies. And at the same time, fear of the Lord who rescues his people out of situations that seem rather impossible. Fear of the Lord by his people is not terror. It's not the same fear that the enemies face. The ones who put their trust in themselves and not God. They ought to be in terror. But, but not so God's people. Fearing the Lord is appreciating who God really is. The eternal one possessing all power. The, the, the one no one can challenge and all are to look to for everything they need from life's breath to deliverances from death. It is a fear that understands that God's word brings disaster to his enemies. But brings absolute safety to those who trust him. But watching the enemies of the church foiled by God not only brings fear, but also delight. Laughing. Laughing at someone receiving God's justice might not seem to be the right response to you. Maybe you think it's somehow unloving. But you need to remember that the wicked get what they deserve. They oppose God. They scoff at him and his judgment. They refuse his love. Look again at verse 7 there. They mock God as a refuge and trust rather in themselves and their own wicked plans. And when you or those you love suffer at their hands and God steps in and smokes them, laughter's the right, that's the right response. A bubbling up of joy in your deliverer is the right response. And I can say that not only on the basis of Psalm 52, but I can say it because that's how God responds. I mean, if we back up to the second Psalm, listen, I'll, I'll read just a few verses for you at the beginning of it. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. Oppose God? 
try to snuff out the witness of his, of his people? God laughs at those kind of enemies and then smokes them. Just what they had coming. And so because God does it, he invites us to respond in the same way. Now that's not to say we shouldn't, we shouldn't pray for our enemies. That we shouldn't respond in love towards them. That, that we shouldn't share the good news that transformed our lives with them. But in the end, if they trust in themselves and want to bring persecution on God's people, they get what they deserve and will laugh along with God and rejoice. If you were under intense persecution, friends, that happiness would bubble up in you too. This joyful ridiculing is appropriate toward those who foolishly oppose God and do harm to his people. This is why the psalmist mocks the wicked by calling them, O mighty man, at the beginning. (laughs) It's in verse 1 there. That can also have the idea of, O great warrior, O hero, why are you rejoicing? Why are you boasting in your evil? Okay, third thing that the psalmist is is unveiling about Christians, about those who follow God. The first, you remember what it was? That we're not really in the hands of the wicked, but in God's hand. Second, that, that God is always working for our good, even when we don't see it. Third, God's people will live forever, and there's no evil that can prevent it. God's people will live forever, and nobody can stop that. Look at verse 8. It's a weird phrase, particularly for a guy like me that doesn't do anything with plants. I'm a green olive tree in the house of God. I read that and I thought, I have no idea what that means. Maybe you do. You know anything about olive trees? They can live hundreds of years. Did you know that? Hundreds of years. I mean, I was blown away when I discovered that. That's, of course, why the psalmist is saying, like, hey, God's bringing destruction on you. Me, I'm going to live a long, long time. That's the idea here. Christians are like trees that live on and on and on because they're with God. They're in God's house, God's family. God is with them, protects them, just like he did Joseph at the end of of Genesis. And it's just getting started in this life, friends. Eternal life, full of joy, free from sin, free from enemies of every kind. That's what is our inheritance. We know this is true because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He faced all our enemies. He faced Satan head to head in the wilderness. He he faced all of, of his demonic powers that he sent in full force again and again. He faced the powerful evil men who lied and deceived in order to devour Christ and the threat he was to their to their wicked rule. He faced torture and the cold, hopeless darkness of death itself. And won. Because God was with him. Over and over again, the Lord trusted in the never-ending love of God, the steadfast love of God that endures all day long. Though evil surrounded him in the wilderness, in the courtyard, in the trial settings, and in his great suffering, he looked to God as his refuge. Though everything around him could not have been more miserable or devoid of hope, yet he lived by faith. 
consider Jesus' arrest. I mean, we get, there's so many passages to look at. Just consider this one. Jesus' arrest in Matthew 26. Peter draws a sword to protect the Lord. But this was the Lord's response to what would be the beginning of the end. The, the arrest that would lead to his death on a criminal's cross. Peter draws his sword to protect Jesus. And this is what Jesus said, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled? How then could God's plans come to pass? How then could God's glorious plan to redeem sinners come to pass? The trust that Jesus Christ had in the Father was vindicated by his resurrection, by his ascension, his deliverance from all of his enemies, so that he, even now he sits on his throne, reigning. All who trust in the steadfast love of God, even when, even when evil surrounds them, they too will be vindicated. You will be vindicated. Not because... Not because we have trusted in our own goodness, but rather in the goodness of God in the person of Jesus Christ. God is our refuge, our safe house from evil because of our faith in Christ. He has become our righteousness and our strength and our salvation, and we have become, we who were enemies, have become his sons and daughters by faith. The only right response is thanksgiving and continued confidence in him. Even among the saints, he gives us for mutual encouragement to keep trusting him, even when evil comes. Verse 9, I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. Though evil men surround us, now God is our refuge forever. Prepare your hearts, friends, for when suffering comes. Prepare yourselves so that you, like the psalmist, like some of the ones I've, uh, I've testified to here in this sermon, like our Savior, lived by faith and not by sight, you, you also have something to say to people who are suffering persecution. The steadfast love of God endures all the day. You have a word of hope. You have a way to train your children to live by faith and not by sight because there's just trial after trial, isn't there? There's disappointment after disappointment. There's suffering after suffering. And before too long, there'll be persecution after persecution. May this give you hope in the Lord Jesus Christ who defeated our enemies. Take a moment of quiet reflection on the word, meditation of your own heart and confidence in God, and ask what the Spirit of Christ is calling you to do, and obey.